Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, if this has happened to me once, it's happened a hundred times. We're doing a seminar at a church, maybe even a college. I get a parent coming up to me saying, hey, my son, my daughter, my teenage son, my teenage daughter uh, has just left the faith. They're claiming they're atheists now. They don't believe in Christianity. Do you have a book that you can give me that will convince them that Christianity is true. And I always say, well, we do have books that go through the evidence, but I don't think that's the problem at this point. Uh, And people think that if they just give them evidence after they haven't given them evidence for 20 years, that suddenly that's going to change their viewpoint and they're going to say, oh, this is true. Great, I'm a Christian now. Oh, that may happen. But more often than not, They walked away from the faith because they were never grounded in the faith. You didn't teach them enough. You didn't model it enough. You didn't demonstrate the importance of knowing why Christianity is true. And you're not going to be able to make up all that ground when they're adults now or they're young adults. You've got to start young if you want to make sure that your kids have a foundation from which they can live their lives. Now, they still might leave it. You might, you might do a great job teaching them uh, the truth of Christianity, and they still might leave, but it's much more difficult to walk away from something that you know is true. It's easy to walk away from something you've doubted your whole life or you've never been given the evidence for your entire life. So what we want to do today is talk about what you can do with your kids to show them that Christianity is indeed true. Uh, And if you don't have kids or you're an adult and this doesn't interest you at this point, you may want to stay tuned anyway. Why? I don't know about you, but a lot of times I learn a lot from reading kids books. Why? Because when people are trying to explain something to a child, they have to know it extremely well themselves in order to communicate to a young person. So we're going to try and talk about some basic concepts today that young people ought to know. And unfortunately, many adults have, been never, have never been taught. So stay tuned. My guest today is Shanda Fulbright. You may know Shanda because she teaches at OnlineChristianCourses.com. She's a former public school teacher from California, ladies and gentlemen. She's got uh, her certificate in Christian apologetics from Biola University. She's got several certificates from Cross-Examine. She's been to CIA a number of times. She actually has a blog that you want to value yourself of. It's called Her Faith Inspires. Actually, it's a podcast called Her Faith Inspires, where she takes cultural issues. She tackles them with biblical truth. So it's great to have the great Shanda Fulbright with us. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen. Shanda Fulbright. Now, she was in California teaching there, but she moved to South Carolina. Shanda, how are you? I'm good. 
Thanks for that great introduction and the round of applause. I feel so special. Well, you are special, Shanda. We all know that. Now, let's let's start in California because that's where you came from. And you and your husband and three sons moved a few years ago to South Carolina. First of all, what did you teach in the California public school system? My last assignment was teaching fifth grade. But I taught a range from upper middle school, seventh and eighth graders with students who really struggled with reading. I also taught kindergartners, but middle school age is my is my range there that I love. Now, what prompted you to want to leave California and move to South Carolina? Mostly when you have kids. I First of all, I was born and raised in California and never it never dawned on me that I would move. Like I, mm. I would not have left California, but when COVID hit and my boys, now mind you, the district that they went to is the district I taught at for over 10 years. Mm-hmm. But when COVID hit and the school came into the classroom through the iPads, the teacher's agenda was blatant right there in my living room, our dining room, when my boys were l- listening to lectures. And I had three boys in the public school system So we were getting everything from transgender ideology to my fifth grader at the time to critical race theory with my fifth grader at the time who was in a dual language program learning Spanish and learning the the Mexican culture and being told that only white people could be racist and he had the potential to be racist. And then I had two high schoolers at the time who who were learning how to meditate because the suicide rate amongst teen in Cal- in, teens in California was skyrocketing because they had them locked up in their homes. So the teachers, instead of teaching critical writing concepts and pre- preparing them for college, they were teaching them how to love themselves, how to meditate, and trying to build self-confidence. And so there was just a lot of compounding issues. Our church had been closed for several months. Our youth group was closed for over a year. We had to take that into our own hands and start holding youth group sessions at our house, you know, uh, once a week. And so when you have kids, you'll do things you never thought you would do. And we looked at the map and said, there are other places in the United States that are not this drastic, that are not closing down. And we moved. And it wasn't a, you know, I think it was mostly after there was a a bill that passed in California that lowered the age of consent within like a 10 year block. And as a teacher, I thought you can have a 23 year old teacher in a classroom and a 13 year old student in that same classroom. And technically by this new law, they could have a relationship if the judge sees that that's appropriate. And it was just one straw after the other that we just decided this is no longer the place where I want to raise, continue to raise my boys. And we wanted to give them an opportunity to go somewhere that, where they could raise, hopefully raise their families where we're at the back of the ship. The ship's going down in the, in the United States, I feel like, but we're at the back of the boat when you move to a state that's a little bit behind California, their progressivism. Now, what have you learned about South Carolina since you've moved with regard to what they're teaching? Is it less drastic, less woke? Uh, more contemporary? I mean, are we teaching writing, reading, and arithmetic anymore, or is it all woke ideology, transgenderism, CRT, these issues? Not not as much. I'm not going to say, I think when you come from a place like California, you're you're more keen on what's happening because you're, you're very aware of the progression of, of the steps that take you to such an extreme. And so mm-hmm. what I'm seeing in the school districts, as I have one child, my youngest is now in a Christian school, which 
being in the realm of apologetics, you know what, what questions to ask, even when your kids are going to a Christian school. And then my other one is a senior in high school, and he's at the public school. And my boys get trained in apologetics as well. So he says, from his point of view, it's not the woke indoctrination so much and the transgender issues. It's the public school system, no matter where you are in the U.S., is failing. It's just mm. they're not teaching the kids how to think. They're not teaching critical thinking. So I found that you still have to be dis just as diligent with your kids. It's not like, oh, I moved to a new state that's less woke, that has these less progressive policies. I'll just throw my hands up in the air and I can relax now as a parent. It's not that at all. It's just that it's not to the extreme as it was in California, but it's definitely seeping in. We're talking to Shanda Fulbright, ladies and gentlemen. She was a teacher in California. She has a podcast called Her Faith Inspires. She teaches for us at onlinechristiancourses.com. In fact, she's got a new course coming up for fifth or sixth to eighth graders. Let's get real, it's called. In fact, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the, in the broadcast. And we're gonna talk today about how you can teach your kids apologetics. What are some of the methods you ought to use? What are some of the simple concepts you ought to teach? Why must you teach it? Because you can't rely on either the school system, quite obviously, even if you're going to a Christian school, nor can you rely necessarily on the pastor or the youth pastor. You, as a parent, are the primary person that should be teaching uh, the elements of apologetics and the elements of the Christian worldview. Hopefully it's being augmented by the youth pastor and others, but you have the primary responsibility. You don't want to defer that responsibility to somebody else and find out much later it's too late. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. My guest, Shanda Fulbright, and we're back in just two minutes, so don't go anywhere. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. You will never, I guarantee you, hear this on NPR. We're talking about how to teach your kids apologetics and why you need to and why you can't rely on even Christian schools to do it or necessarily the church to do it. You have to do it. And what are some of the things you ought to be teaching them. Before I get there, our guest, Shanda Fulbright, taught uh, college, or taught college, well, she's, she's teaching some online courses at her college level, but she's taught public schools, taught in the public schools in California, and uh, we'll get back to her in just a minute. I will be in California this weekend at Revival Christian Fellowship in Menifee, California. I'll be at the morning services and then the evening, 6 p.m., session. We'll talk about I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and take your questions. So that's kind of between, say, Ontario and San Diego. South of Ontario, you know our friend Jack Hibbs out there in Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. South of him, about an hour, Menifee. Check it out if you're anywhere in the uh, Southern California area. Would love to see you this weekend. Then next weekend, Shanda Fulbright won't be there, but... <laughs> Alisa Childers and Natasha Crane will be with me in Troy, Ohio for the first Unshaken Conference. That's January 28th. 
Uh, you won't want to miss that. Listen to last week's podcast if you want to learn more about that. Week after that, I'll be in Sarasota, Florida during the weekend doing a, a Sarasota Apologetics Conference with my friend Dr. Richard Howe and Ray Siervo. That will be Saturday, February, well, actually Friday, February 3rd, Saturday, February 4th, Sunday, February 5th. Then we're going to be here in Hickory, North Carolina, Wednesday, uh, uh, February 8th, Corinth Reformed Church. We're talking about If God, Why Evil. Next night, Appalachian State University, Boone, North Carolina. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Much more on our website, crossexamine.org. Okay, let's go back to the great Shanda Fulbright. Shanda, we've got to talk about the gaps that we know exist between what young kids believe about the Christian worldview and the truth of the Christian worldview. What don't most young people know and probably even many adults? Yeah, I think that what we're going to talk about, a lot of what we're going to talk about today applies to Christian adults. Just when you look at the data that we have, um, it, it really sheds a lot of light on what people claim as far as claiming to be Christians, but what they actually believe. So when you look at a gap, you're talking about a gap in knowledge so usually the gap has to do with something that should have been taught already because mm. you cannot continue to layer on something that's not there. So I learned that when I was teaching fifth grade. And for example, fifth grade is not a primary grade level. When kids come to me in the fifth grade, I'm teaching them how to multiply fractions, divide decimals. That means they have to have addition and subtraction, regrouping, basic multiplication facts before I can even attempt to teach them fifth grade content. So when you see, you know, kids these days and they're saying, what do we read the Bible for? It's a irrelevant. It's a thousands of years old book. They're not being taught the fundamentals of Christianity. They're not being taught the, the, the fundamentals of their faith. So when you try to compound on that with teaching something like apologetics, you're actually trying to add a layer with apologetics to something that should already be there, which is foundational knowledge of scripture. And it's more than just, and we'll talk about biblical literacy, I'm sure, but it's more than just knowing a Bible verse or knowing some Bible stories. It's truly being able to understand how to interpret the Bible so you can build on those concepts. And we don't have, like you're, nobody in church that I know of, but not that in my, my experience growing up in the church, is testing us to see if we're progressing throughout our Christianity, to see if we're maturing, as Paul would say, or as the New Testament tells us, we should by now we should be teachers, but you're still on the milk. We see a level of maturity or a level of growth that needs to be taking place in the church, but how do you assess that? that that's what we need to say. As Christian educators, we need to be assessing where we are so we know where we're going because if we don't, we're just, we're shooting in the dark. And mm -hmm. as teachers, even in a public school, I was trained in public school system. We don't do that. We don't teach that way. We teach by looking at where our students are in order to know if I can teach what I plan to teach in fifth grade, what I'm required to teach. And if they don't have the skills up to a fifth grade level, I have to go back and reteach them. And so basically with George Barna, his, he has the best data that I, that I know of where it's showing the church, this is where you are. This is where your Christian education is leading you. And we have 65% of Americans that claim to be Christian. When you look at that statistic only and you don't dive in, you might be like, wow, that's great. 65% of Americans claim to be Christian. That's wonderful. Our, our nation is a Christian nation. But when you assess the culture right away, just by simple ob observation, you can see something isn't adding up with the data. 
When we have more Christians supporting gay marriage, homosexuality, and not standing for truth with the, even with a transgender ideology, afraid to say simple things like God created male and female, then we, we can assess the situation and say 65% saying they're Christians, but how are we living it out? And so yeah, they may say they're yeah. Christians. The question is, what is the definition of Christian in their mind? For them, it might be, well, I'm just a nice person and I believe in God and I'm not a Muslim, so I must be a Christian, right? Sure. But, but why are they why are they coming to that definition? Because mm -hmm. they don't even know what Christianity is. They don't have the basics of Christianity. What would we say if you just had, you know, a minute to to say to somebody the essentials of the faith, you know, what are the basics of Christianity? What would you explain it to a fifth grader? Here are the basics of Christianity. What would you say, Shanda? Well, okay, so let me answer that question, and I want to give you another example. I would tell mm -hmm. a fifth grader, you know, Romans 10, 9, Jesus Christ died for our sins on the cross. Three days later, he rose again. That's how you get saved. But the basics of Christianity is knowing that we're a sinner in need of a Savior. Americans don't believe that, that we need a Savior. Mm -hmm. And you have to, I think... The, the fundamentals of Christianity is the statement of faith that every church puts on their website, right? We have the statement of faith. Those are the fundamentals. You can go through that. Now, they may need a little more explanation, but you're telling somebody that we believe Jesus is the Son of God. We believe in the Trinity. We believe the Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. However, if you ask the members if they know what that means or if they even believe it, most members, according to the data, are going to say no because they don't understand the fundamentals of their faith. We put that statement of faith on websites, but we're not actually teaching that as the foundation or the, the, the bottom foundation that we can layer on in church education. And when we talk about Christian education, Frank, I'm talking about if you run a Sunday school class, a youth group, a youth group you know, on a Wednesday night, a women's Bible study, leading a men's group. It's not just Christian education as in Christian school. Anytime we have a sphere of influence when we're opening up the Bible and transferring knowledge to someone else, you are in the realm of Christian education. And mm -hmm. you need to understand the basics of your faith. To pass on the salvation message is one thing. This is how you get saved. But the fundamentals of the faith it takes time to lay that foundation because it takes time to also develop a biblical worldview. Yeah, the, the first thing we need to get across to people is there is a God and you are not him. You are not the authority. There's an authority beyond you. And that authority created you, loves you, and has a future for you either here or on the other side or both. Uh, and there's a way that he has come to save us. And as you just mentioned, Shanda, I think Romans 10, 9 is a great place to start. That's normally the verse I normally go to, the, the section of scripture, if I just have a minute with somebody mm -hmm. uh, and uh, point out to them that we've, we're, we don't even meet our own standards, much less God's standards. And right. if justice exists, and everybody agrees that justice exists, there must be a ground of justice and someone who's going to make everything right in the end. That's what we mean by God. And none of us want justice in the end. I don't want justice. You shouldn't want justice because we've been unjust. So we need somebody to take that punishment for us. And that's what Jesus does. That needs to be explained to people. Too often people think that Christianity is just about social reform or Christianity is just about being nice and not being mean. And unfortunately, Jesus wasn't always nice. Well, I shouldn't say unfortunately. He was doing the right thing. But a lot of people think he was always nice and he wasn't. 
Okay, he spoke the truth and he upset a lot of people. And that's what we need to do, not to upset them, but speak the truth in order to love them. That's the way you love people. You show them the truth. Now, what they do with it, that's up to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we have to teach people why Christianity is indeed true. That's what we do in apologetics. So, Shanda, let me ask you, what is the ultimate goal when you're teaching children apologetics and when you're teaching children, how, how is that different than if you're doing it to just say a secular audience? Well, I mean, a secular audience, they don't believe in God. So mm-hmm. you can't start with the Bible. You, mm-hmm. they, you have to convince them that God exists before you can even lead them there. Right. And that would be your goal, right? That's your layering yeah. approach, right? Before you talk about the Bible, exactly. that God has given us the Bible, they've got to have evidence that God exists before they accept that he could have a word, right? There can't be a word from God if there's no if there's no God. Exactly. So that's kind of the layering approach you were talking about earlier, correct? Exactly. And that's yeah. that's what you're very familiar with, Frank. Mm-hmm. So you start with a different layer and you work your way to the Bible, which is your end goal. Whereas with Christians, as soon as they call themselves Christians, bring the Bible in. The Bible is your source of authority. And they may not understand why yet, but we'll get there. But with a with a kid, and this this go this approach goes for adults too. I don't if somebody just gets saved at the age of 30, use this approach. It's a systematic mm-hmm. approach, which you start with, and, and teaching is systematic. So you have to start with the fundamentals and build. And so what you want to start with is scripture. You start with with properly interpreting scripture and teaching them the word of God. Matthew 7, Jesus talks about it. The wise man and the foolish man who heard the word, but only one of them did the word and he was the one who built his house on the rock. So the word of God is the foundational part to all knowledge. And then you bring in the reasons uh, for Christianity, the reasons to believe, and you give people the, the, the good reasons to believe that Christianity is true, where you're bringing an understanding to why I believe this. And then the the final part is teaching them how to, to live that word in the world. The difference is I'm not thinking of making my little students that are in the fifth grade or sixth grade apologists. It's not like these kids are gonna go out into the world and they're gonna defend the faith and we just have little defenders of the faith out there. That's not my end goal. My first goal is to make them confident in their faith because if you have somebody who's confident in their faith, they'll become a defender of the faith. And But they can't be confident in it if you don't first give them the foundation and then give them the reasons why, which is what every kid asks, Frank. I mean, think about it when your kids are little. Why is the sky blue? Why mm-hmm. can't I do this? If you tell them not to touch the stove because it's hot, why can't I touch it? And they will go test what you say. They're going to test it. Even if you give them like it's hot, the stove's hot. If they don't know what hot is, they definitely will know what hot is when they go touch it themselves, right? And that's how they learn. But the other point to that is they're going to test and everything you tell them will be tested. So make sure they know the reasons why. Yeah, they believe in cause and effect when they're young. In fact, when we come out of the break, we'll talk about this is one of the fundamental principles you need to build on. If they already believe in cause and effect, and they do, we've got a lot of effects that need to be explained. What can best explain them? We'll get into it right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk. My guest, Shanda Fulbright, back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. Ladies and gentlemen, I just saw an article this week. Do you know that in Texas, 99% of abortions have ended? 
Abortion is down 99% in Texas. Why? Because they pass laws that prevented abortions. And one, and the article actually said that approximately 50,000 people have been saved. Young babies have been saved in just the past few months. You can make a difference. You can actually save lives. And how can you articulate the pro-life position? How can you convince people to be pro-life? Get enrolled in Scott Klusendorf's course, How to Convince People to Be Pro-Life. It started this week, but you can still join because the first Zoom session is next week. So if you're listening to this the weekend of January 21st in that area, you can still join. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. You'll also see how science reveals the mind behind the universe because there's a brand new course from Stephen C. Meyer that starts February 1st. It's called The Return of the God Hypothesis. That course is filling up quickly. You want to be a part of it, you've got to do so now. So check that out. And we'll talk a little bit later, a little bit more later about Shanda's course, Let's Get Real. She's my guest today. This is for sixth to eighth graders. That starts on February 6th. Shanda, just before the break, we were talking about cause and effect. Uh, Kids understand cause and effect uh, from the very beginning. In fact, I remember reading um, Doug Axe's book called Undeniable. Uh, Doug, as you know, is a biologist, microbiologist, I believe. uh, And uh, this book, Undeniable, deals with intelligent design. And he said that you can't you got to talk kids out of the idea that things are designed because they admit, even if they're even if they're kids of atheists, they look at a butterfly and they go, oh, that thing's designed. Somebody designed that. Right. <laughs> they look at things around them and they realize they're designed. Is there a way we can further cement this idea in kids minds so they realize that there has to be a designer? There has to be a God. Yeah. So one of the things that I think about when you talk about the the arguments for God, the basic po- apologetics arguments, when you look at the cosmological argument and the design argument, they see that God's word and God's world don't contradict each other. Mm-hmm. Like when you're teaching these things to kids, they see it come together. Even when I was teaching, let's get real on the first go around in the fall, when the kids had to do a demonstration of cause and effect, we didn't use scripture to do that. They used their examples from their own lives because it comes naturally. It makes sense to them. So when you're putting these everyday foundational observational um experiences into their learning, you really are starting to integrate this biblical worldview and you you can't detach God from from your life mm. because mm. they begin to see how it, everything is very connected. And that's how you make the word of God and God's world come alive to kids, kids when they see, oh, the, the cosmological argument, it now makes sense to me. It makes sense because we have cause and effect. And I live by that every single day. When my alarm co- went off this morning, when I poured my cereal into the bowl and I suddenly wasn't hungry anymore. I mean, they see these things in action. And like you said, you can't talk them out of it because it's aligning to reality. And that's why when you have these kids even going into schools and teachers telling them that that male and female don't exist, (laughs) that's not aligning to their reality because they observe it. But when you tell them in God's word, then you take God's word and you begin to cement that in, they see again that this is an integrated worldview. It's intertwined into every aspect of life. And that's why Christianity makes sense to them because you're talking to them about it every with, with every experience that they have throughout their throughout their day, throughout their week. 
and it, it you can't talk them out of it because they experience it for themselves. You know, we've talked about this before, ladies and gentlemen. This is a principle for kids and adults that every effect has a cause and there are effects all around us. So when people say, how do you know God exists? You ought to say, because I know God by his effects. If there's a creation, that's the effect. And we know this universe had a beginning. Uh, we know that this universe is created, then there must be a creator. That's the cause. You're reasoning from effect to cause. When you see design in the universe, you see design in a bug of all things, right? You know that's an effect. You're reasoning back to a cause, a designer. Uh, when you have a moral law written on your heart, that's the effect. You reason back to a cause, a moral law giver. When you have the ability to reason, that's the effect. You're reasoning back to a mind. When you look at evidence that Jesus rose from the dead, that's the effect. You're reasoning back to a cause, a being that could rise somebody from the dead. Who could do that but God himself? So you're yeah. always reasoning from effect to cause. You need to inculcate that in your children. They already know it. Sometimes you just need to remind them of it. Yeah, and I know and you're going to do that in the Let's Get Real course, Shanda. Yeah, we, uh, we do. We do. Yeah. But one of the things I was going to tell you as well, Frank, is if if you're telling kids about the attributes of God mm -hmm. and he sees why they see why we're in the word, it says that God is spirit, that God is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end that Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And they begin to understand that God is timeless, that he's not on the clock. He runs the clock. And then you tell them about the cosmological argument that the universe has a beginning. Therefore, the cause must be not have a beginning, they'll connect those dots a lot quicker and a lot easier. And the cause and effect, the, the law of cause and effect will come together for them. And it won't be, you won't be making up so much ground or trying to because you've already built the foundation with them seeing the attributes of God. It's going to make sense and click for them a lot easier. Now, maybe you might have to do, go into a little more depth here and there, or explain it again. But for the most part, kids are inquisitive and they're sharp and they want to know the truth. You know, you probably have heard the adage, you can't give what you haven't got. Obviously, God can't create a universe if he doesn't have the power to do so, right? Yeah. But he does. And Chanda just mentioned he's timeless. Well, if you're timeless, you know you're going to get this question from the kids, but you can point out the answer to it. Well, who made God, right? Uh, well, if he's timeless, he doesn't have a beginning, right? He's outside of time. So he is the uncaused first cause. But that, that attribute flows out naturally from the data. If space, matter, and time had a beginning, the cause must be at least spaceless, timeless, and immaterial. So no one made God. He is the uncaused cause. He is the uncreated creator. And pointing this out to young people, they go, oh, I get it now. There has to be an uncaused first cause. There has to be an uncreated creator. Now, take that same principle, ladies and gentlemen. You can't give what you haven't got. You can't teach your children what you don't know yourself. Mm -mm. You can't pass on to them information that you don't have. You can't lead somebody anywhere you haven't gone yourself. So this is the principle that Shanda is going to teach in this Let's Get Real course. This is the principle you ought to be teaching to your kids that you, 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 you can't give what you haven't got. I want to give you what I know. I want to, if, if I have to, if I have to learn uh, these principles myself, I need to learn them so I can pass them on to you. That's what you need to do as a parent. That's what you need to do as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And that's what Shanda is doing to young people. We're blessed to have her at onlinechristiancourses.com because she does this so well. She's got, she's been a teacher. She's got kids of her own. Uh, also, let me ask you this, Shanda. Knowledge certainly is important, but why isn't it enough? 
I think that's where our culture today gets a little confused thinking, oh, I, I can, I have all this knowledge at my fingertips. We're in the information age. So because I can give you an answer or, or I found the answer, then I know it. But Proverbs 1, 7 says to, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So mm. knowledge is just the beginning. We need it. But if we don't understand the knowledge, then it's useless. And so when we see, even throughout Proverbs, we see knowledge is the foundation, but it has to be true knowledge, the fear of the Lord. And then there has to be understanding. And then Proverbs, I believe it's Proverbs 10 that says, in all you're getting, get understanding. And then understanding leads to wisdom. And so the way that I look at this too, Frank, is in you look at knowledge, the knowledge of my beliefs is Christianity. I know what I believe. And then to understand it is to bring God's world into it and see how they connect. And that's th to me, that's through apologetics. And then when you have the wisdom of it, that's walking it out into the into this world, which is the biblical worldview coming together. So knowledge just to know isn't enough. And in fact, you can know about something, but not deeply and intimately know it. We can know our neighbor drives a, a certain car and gets home around five every day, but we don't know what he likes to eat for dinner. And we don't know if he reads books or what they are every night before he goes to bed. We're not intimately acquainted with him. We only know about him. So knowledge can be deceiving in and of itself if you don't dig deeper and understand what you know. And that understanding leads you to living out your, your worldview, just like Jesus's example in Matthew 7. The man who built his house on the rock had knowledge, understanding, and was able to apply it, whereas the foolish man did not. Mm -hmm. And you, you make a point. In fact, you have a, uh, an article on our website that I got to tell people about. On the Cross-Examined blog, uh, you have one you just put up about a week ago, Shand. It's called Don't Panic, a step-by-step -step approach to teaching kids about God. So we can't cover it all here in this uh, podcast or radio program, ladies and gentlemen. But if you want to go further, uh, you can go there and uh, check that out. Why do you think so many parents uh, just rely on the Sunday school teacher, the youth group leader, the pastor, the Christian school teacher to do all this for them? And why should we not necessarily rely on those people to give our kids a a biblical worldview and b the apologetics they need to know that christianity is true i think there are probably two main reasons why parents do it first of all it's easy you know it's mm -hmm. easier for me to give my kids to somebody else and secondly we're trusting that those people are good sources to teach our kids mm. so if they have the you know the the title of pastor or children's director or whatever, we trust them because they should know how to teach my kids. But according to Barna's Worldview Inventory, what was a surprising statistic is that around 36% of actual pastors in America have a biblical worldview. And I think around 17% of children's and youth pastors have a biblical worldview. So the chances of you sending to your you sending your child to somebody who's well equipped and well-rounded to, to teach them uh, from a biblical worldview, you're going to have to have some conversations. You know, it, it goes deeper now than I'm going to find my church by looking at my statement of faith. I mean, we need to go ask some questions. And really, it's a it's more like a partnership between you right. and that teacher. Did you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? She just said, according to Barna, only 17% of youth pastors have a biblical worldview. That means 83% do not. Okay, so chances are the person at your church teaching your kids probably doesn't have a Christian worldview. Now, maybe they have obviously some things right, 
But it's your responsibility, really, to make sure that your kids, and it's probably something you want to make sure happens, because as I said at the top of this program, you don't want what has happened to me several times when parents have come to me and said, you know, we brought our kids up in church, we brought our kids up as Christians, and they just told me they just, they just went off to college and they walked away. They're even walking away before college because they're getting more information from TikTok than they're getting from you in many cases or from the youth pastor. A lot more right after the break. In fact, right after the break, we're going to talk about what is a Christian worldview and uh, how can we help our kids get it. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, my guest, Shanda Fulbright. Her, her podcast is called Her Faith Inspires. Check it out. We'll also talk about the course she's about to teach. Don't go anywhere. can you teach your kids the truths of Christianity and why those truths are indeed true? We're talking to Shanda Fulbright today, teacher, uh, mom, and someone that is teaching a brand new course that just came out uh, last year. It's being retaught this year uh, for your sixth to eighth grader. We'll talk about it in a few minutes, but let me start with what George Barna has done. Since 1984, He's been tracking whether or not people have a Christian worldview. And he asked people eight questions. Here are the eight questions, ladies and gentlemen. Number one, do absolute moral truths exist? Number two, is absolute truth defined by the Bible? Number three, did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Number four, is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe? And does he still rule it today? Number uh, five, is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Number six, is Satan real? Number seven, does a Christian have responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? And number eight, is the Bible accurate in all its teachings? And he said, way back in 2006, only 9% of born-again believers actually answered yes to all those eight questions. And more recently, he surveyed, as we said earlier, pastors and youth group uh, leaders, and only 17% of youth group leaders believed it. And what, 36% of pastors, Shanda? Was that... Yeah, that's okay, it. That's where we are in America, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're relying on the youth pastor and or the pastor to teach a biblical worldview, they can't share what they don't already know or don't already have. Uh, so I know this is just kind of been an alarming show to this point, Shanda. What kind of encouragement can you give to parents listening right now? Well, first of all, when we have Christ, we always have hope. And who who mm -hmm. better to work on the hearts of our children than the one who created them? And that's God. So if you continue to pray and trust the Lord, but also be diligent, like we need to take steps and be intentional because our kids, they're going to learn, but if but their worldview, a biblical worldview has to be intentionally formed. So don't ever assume that that they're learning in, like you said, a, a church service or in children's education. Another thing is Barna says that a worldview isn't formed until around the age of 13, but it's mm. tested in the teens and 20s. So it's tested in the teens and 20s, which means that they're still filling it out. Like if your kids are older, but they are like, I don't believe in God and they're 20, 21, they still haven't quite adopted their worldview that they're going to have for 
not forever. I mean, it could change, but after the thirties is when they really adopt it. So mm -hmm. into their thirties, they adopt the worldview into their teens and twenties. It's tested. So just remember that you still have some ground to make up and you have to go back. And I can't overstate the fundamentals enough. Now you're, you may not be able to sit with your kids and actually go through devotionals and, and stuff like that at home, but you can live out your faith very, very strongly and boldly in front of your kids and let your life align to what you're preaching at them or what you're yeah. in telling them. Well, what you said there in the beginning, I think is needs to be amplified. A worldview needs to be communicated intentionally. Yep. They're not going to just pick it up by osmosis. They will pick up some things, obviously, by observation, but you also have to teach it to them. And of course, this goes back to the Old Testament principle from Deuteronomy chapter 6, where uh, God says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today, talk, speaking of the Ten Commandments, are to be on your hearts and press them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, the Old Testament believers were taught to be very intentional about what they believed. And there should be nothing different about New Testament believers. We ought to be doing the same thing. We ought to be teaching our kids, number one, what we believe, and number two, why we believe it. We can't rely on other people. I, I, I know, Shanta, you've, you've, you've heard people say this about their kids. You know, I'm not gonna, gonna, gonna try and influence my kids one way or the other when it comes to religion. I'm just gonna let them, I'm just gonna let them make their own decision. Of course, they're going to make their own decision anyway. But why is that bad advice to not try and show kids that Christianity is indeed true? Well, if you're a Christian, you don't you you don't get a pass on that. That's mm -hmm. we don't get to say that. Like you you just read in in Deuteronomy where God has commanded parents to be the influence. Look at Proverbs. It says, "Listen, my son, listen to the words of your father and, and the instruction of your mother." Even in Proverbs, we see that the parents are the ones guiding their kids toward wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So we don't get a pass. Your kids, I can tell you right now, being in the public school system, I had kids dropped off uh, well before I was assigned to report to the school, fed breakfast in my classroom, fed lunch, stayed for the after-school program and had their homework done by people who were working in the after-school program and got picked up about six o'clock at night. 11 hours out of the day, they're under the influence of people that you really don't know what they believe. And so if you think they're not being taught because you're going to let them feel their way through life, they're being taught by someone and it's probably not going to be the result you want them to end up with. So worldview right now in America, the worldview is caught. It's not taught. And that's why it's this melding of, you know, different beliefs, Christianity and new age, Christianity and, you know, I don't know, pick a pick LGBTQ. A, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you're not intentional, somebody else will be intentional with them. And it's going to be the people that you allow to influence them. And it could be through a technology device. Yeah. Well, that's it there. It, it's not just the school anymore. They're getting most of their information off of TikTok, off their phones. By the way, I, I know there's a, a, a phone out there. In fact, Jorge, our producer here, uh, gave his kids pinwheel phones. Pinwheel phones prevent kids from getting 
uh, onto most places in the internet. It allows you to control what they see and what they can't see. So you may want to look into that, ladies and gentlemen. But this whole premise or this whole idea that you're just going to let your kids uh, make up their own mind, you're not going to give them any instruction. First of all, as you pointed out, Shanda, that's anti-biblical. Secondly, it, it, it assumes that the world is neutral, which it is not. We're bent toward evil. The world's going to pull our kids away from Christ. They're going to pull their kids into all sorts of alternate ideologies. And uh, so we have to be very deliberate to pull them the other way. Now, Shanda, you're going to do that uh, in this new course called Let's Get Real, Examining the Evidence for God. You're the main teacher. I'll be involved a little bit on some Zoom sessions. This is generally sixth to eighth grade, although you, your kids, if they're smart fifth graders, I'm sure they could be uh, involved in it. Tell us a little bit about how this course works, what you're going to teach, how it goes. When does yeah. it start? It starts February 6th. It's 12 weeks. So we end up paralleling the the apologetics concepts from I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, mm -hmm. which these great guys wrote it, Frank. And um, oh, yeah, amazing. it's really yeah. good. Wink, wink. So <laughs> we end up teaching those apologetics concepts. But what we do is we also uh, bring in scripture. So just an example of the very first lesson on truth, we talk about why truth exists and we answer that question. But we have the kids look at God's command in Genesis 2 with what the serpent said God said in Genesis 3 and get them to see that deceit is very tricky because it has some elements of truth to it. And we have to know the truth in order to spot the lie. And so mm. kids are able to, to look at scripture and evaluate that. They do assignments. We have them write, well, they don't write in, in Let's Get Real, but they have to uh, do different experiments. They're sharing them with their families and their friends, and then they're reporting back to me. This this time around, we added a couple vocabulary quizzes just to make sure that they understand certain terms. But these kids get to ask questions, and they get to ask you questions at the end. And so what we're trying to do is we're not just making them little apologists. We're, get, we're laying the foundation of biblical literacy and getting them to evaluate scripture and then putting the apologetics concept on top of that so they know that their mom and dad just didn't just say, believe Christianity because that's what we do as a family. They're saying there's good reasons for you to believe that God exists and that Christianity is a, is a faith worth putting your trust in. And they get to do this from a young age. And I was blown away with my first group of students. I mean, they ask very inquisitive questions. There was even a few times where I was afraid they were going to ask me things I didn't know because <laughs> there are some pretty sharp kids. So we do all that and we take them through this journey of 12 weeks and they they really dig in and they really evaluate. I mean, we're not trying to feed them the answers. We're trying to get them to examine for themselves the evidence for God. Now, obviously, homeschoolers can be a part of this, but can public school or Christian school students be a part of this as well? When do you do the Zooms? Is it convenient so they could be a part of it? Yes. I had public school uh, kids in my class last time, okay. and they were very diligent. And it's always the Zooms are always around 4.30 on the West Coast, Pacific Standard Time, 7.30 on the East Coast. So some of them were even in their cars on the way to practice. I do not care how you get there, but they, they attended. And some of them were, um, you know, had to take a break from a sport for maybe a little bit of time or be a little bit late to the sport or even log off early, we work with them to do that too. Yeah, and most of their instruction comes through the video, but then you're answering questions via the Zoom, right? 
Yes. What I do is I try to front load the kids. That's a fancy word in, in teaching where it says I, I give them, this is the preliminary of what you're going to learn this week. Mm-hmm. These are things to look out for this week. And then I kind of give them bits and pieces of the information and they dive deeper on their own and they can email me. I get emails uh, during this class. I get emails from students all the time asking me questions from their parents. So I'm always accessible that way too. So parents, you do not want to have your teenager come to you a few years from now and say, I'm an atheist, you know, uh, I don't believe the Bible, I'm involved in this ideology or that ideology, or uh, I can't believe in, in the Bible anymore, I can't believe in Christianity anymore. If you wanna at least reduce the chances of that happening, get your sixth or maybe even fifth to eighth grader enrolled in Let's Get Real with my guest today, Shanda Fulbright. By the way, her website, shandafulbright.com. Is that right, Shanda? Yes. Okay. Go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. And even if if it's after February 6th, you can still enroll them. Check it out. Shanda, thanks so much for being a part of this. Thanks, Frank. That's Shanda Fulbright, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, She's the instructor of Let's Get Real, Examining the Evidence for God. Check it out at crossexamine.org. Click on online courses. Also check out her uh, podcast and just go to shandafulbright.com for more. Lord willing, I'll see you here next week. God bless.